Hey friends, just wanted to give a quick content warning at the front of the episode. Um, in today's episode, we do address grief in The Lion King, and with that, we discuss death and dying. So wanted to let you all know of that um, and to take care of yourselves. In the show notes for today's episode, we will have some resources. If anything comes up for you, feel free to check that out. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to Spoonful of Sugar, where we use Disney movies to have meaningful conversations. I'm Victoria. I'm Austin. And today we're using The Lion King to talk about grief. How you feeling? I'm feeling great. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Last week was really good. It was. Well, I guess at this point it's two. At the time we release this, it'll be two weeks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I feel really good about the last uh, episode that we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's been really fun to hear people's responses. So thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah, thank friends. you all for like the really <laughs> kind uh, response and feedback and everything. It's it's made me feel like a million bucks yeah. personally. I also love how many of our friends love and appreciate Disney, so that's been fun. That helps a lot. It does. Yeah, it does help a lot yes. when you have people who actually are interested in the thing that you're talking about. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, no, I'm feeling good, and I'm I'm excited to talk about grief, which is not a sentence that people say a lot, but I'm excited <laughs> to talk about it with you. Same. It's that's how it's been the last couple of weeks. I'm like, we're talking about grief, like it's a happy thing like this exciting thing we get to do is a treat <laughs> right which it's a it's not an easy conversation so no no but i think we have a very good movie to use to discuss grief so um before we get into the movie though uh have you prepared a haiku i have all right <laughs> okay so a cub becomes king runs until he really sees he's more than his past it's so good <laughs> I'm pretty impressed with it. So, like, yeah, so we, we have read these to each other before. Uh, so this isn't the first time that we're hearing each other's haikus. Yeah. Just to be, you know, transparent. And the first time Victoria read me hers, I was like, ah, okay, I need to step my game up. <laughs> Who knew that my haiku game was strong? Yeah, so I, I think it's going to be kind of in the same vein. Like, last last episode, uh, Victoria's was definitely the better summary of the movie. And I think the, the same is going to be the, uh, the case today. Um, but here's my haiku. Okay. Cub learns to process the trauma of causing his own dad's death. Oh boy! Okay. <laughs> that was my Mickey Mouse impression. Because <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. It's it's a it's a Disney movie. Yeah. You know, from the the happiest place on earth. Yeah. It's really just about a a, a kid, a yeah. child, reckoning with like his own guilt over killing his dad which wasn't actually yes. his own fault but he feels responsible for it right yeah you know he thinks it is. And that, that's that's really the main plot of the movie <laughs> isn't that crazy when you think about it like that it is insane when you read it to me yesterday i was like that took a turn yeah i mean it's the whole movie <laughs> it is it is yep yeah so yeah good job thank you you too <laughs> also your mickey mouse impression is fairly impressive yeah it's difficult i can't i can't it's hard for my voice to get that high yeah <laughs> So, Victoria, before we get into the making the connections of, of grief um, in the movie and elsewhere, mm-hmm. what is your relationship to The Lion King? So, I know last week I said Moana is one of my favorite Disney movies. It absolutely is. But, like, the OG favorite Disney movie of mine is Lion King. I loved it as a kid. I think I watched it a million times as a kid. And then I've watched it a million times as an adult. But we even had, like, some of the first Christmas ornaments that I remember having are a little like Simba. Uh, It was like this Lion King set that my mom got for me. Um, So I have those and I still have some. I actually took some from our family's house last year and then brought them up (laughs) to my Christmas tree so that I could have them. Yeah. So I've just always really loved the movie. I feel like it's just a very significant part of our generation's childhood. (laughs) Yeah. Like if you haven't seen the Lion King. Yeah. It is is like a staple of like Like 90s kids childhoods. Yes. So and it's funny because I was talking to my brother about it the other day and he was like, I've never seen The Lion King. And I was like, yes, you have at some point. But I'm like, I guess. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's a younger, 90s, but... younger 90s baby. So, right. yeah. So, anyway. so maybe not, maybe not that, not right. that group. I love the movie. The soundtrack is incredible. Ooh, the Lion King on Broadway, Broadway soundtrack. Also incredible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> that's a whole yes. other conversation. Yeah. Um, oh man, I could talk all day about that. Yes. But yeah, that's, I think that answers that question for me. 
Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Uh, so this is like, like you said, this was one of the OGs. This is one of the movies we had on VHS, which oh, we didn't VHS. have a lot. Yeah. Yep. Which we didn't have a lot of Disney movies on VHS, but Lion King was one of them. Yeah. And I wore that thing out. I think the only thing <laughs> that even got close to the Lion King as far as like rewatch mm-hmm. value for me as a kid was Toy Story. Mm-hmm. But Lion King was like every, almost every day I would watch it. I would go to my grandpa's house. And that's the first thing I would put in. Mm-hmm. When the live action version came out, my grandpa wanted to see it with me <laughs> because so he just knew that I watched it so much as a kid. So we saw it in theaters together with my mom, oh, which, is really, which is really cute. Like, I don't know if I could even like say like why I loved it so much as a kid. I think, I mean, I'm sure like, you know, the songs and the story and the mm-hmm. colors like probably had like a big part to do with it. Also, just because it wasn't, like I said, we didn't have a lot of Disney movies on VHS growing up. But it's just one of those things where I saw it at such a young age and it left such an impression that it feels like a very formative movie for yes. me. You know? Formative is a good word. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, I really enjoy coming back to it as an adult too. I think it really holds up in a lot of ways. Yep. And every time you or someone else suggests, hey, let's like watch Lion King. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm down. Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a comfort movie for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time. That one and Mulan, I feel like I just, I can have it playing. And yeah. It just immediately makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, big fan. Cool. (laughs) All right, so do we want to start getting into where we see it in the movie, where we see the theme of grief? Right, so the first um, connection that we make, we have three connections, Mm -hmm. and that's um, text to text, which is, you know, basically like how do we see... Uh, the theme of grief or the topic of grief. How do we see that show up in the movie The Lion King? And then we're going to make that connection to the world. You know, it's a very big statement, but we'll get to that. <laughs> and then also like in our own personal lives. So we're going to start with the movie. Where do we see grief show up in the movie? Uh, I mean, I feel like you can't really talk about or think about Lion King without thinking of uh, Mufasa's death. Mm. It's like, it's I mean, you know what? That might be a big reason why this movie just like sticks out so much is because mm. it was like the first time watching something and like feeling devastated mm. over the death of a character. Wow. Because like yeah. as a kid, like, you know, I didn't really... I didn't expect that at all to happen. Right. And it's funny, like, the last time we watched it for this podcast, we were like, oh, wow, they're really setting up his death. Like, yes. It's just almost every, like, word of dialogue Mufasa says, the right. subtext is like, I'm going to die. Right. <laughs> I'm going to die, and you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, but as a kid, as, like, a four-year-old, you know, you're not really mm-hmm. thinking about that at all. Your right. parents live forever when you're four, you yeah. know? Yeah, so Mufasa dying was huge yeah. for me. And left- I cried. Oh, my gosh. Oh my it was you- horrible. And have you seen those videos of like i think they'll go viral on tiktok or yeah YouTube and it's these little kids that are like watching the yeah. die and it's oh, just it's this emotion horrible like, they're so little it's so horrible. you know that like we'll get to into grief a little more but like that is a feeling that we feel from when we were young <laughs> like yes. we are capable of feeling um, so yeah, and I think, like, what makes it even worse, like, like, the part that I think really made me super uncomfortable in the movie when I was a kid, and even now a little bit, when Simba finds Mufasa and is, like, mm. yelling for help in the canyon. And, like, this time around, watching it with thinking about grief, mm-hmm. when Simba's, like, calling out in that canyon, calling out for help, it's, like, such a wide shot, and he mm. it's, like, this little lion cub and then, like, this huge canyon. Mm. And it just, like, struck me how alienated he was in that and alone Mm -hmm. and how it made me think when you're in the depths of grief Mm. like it does feel so alienating yeah and you feel so lonely even if you're not literally lonely if you're like around people yes if anything that can almost make you feel more alienated because it's like here's Mm -hmm. all these people Mm-hmm. who are just going on with life and I'm stuck in mm-hmm. this canyon of grief. So that that just that image alone is, is like a, a good just illustration of what grief feels like. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. That's a really good... I got goosebumps. That's a very <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of places I saw grief. Like, I, of course, obviously, like, the big one is Mufasa. But I think what I'm, like, more interested in is how the characters deal with the grief. Mm, mm-hmm. So Simba, uh, after Mufasa's death, he runs away mm-hmm. and, you know, finds Timon and Pumbaa. 
and they uh, teach him the like the philosophy of Hakuna Matata, mm-hmm. which literally means no worries. Mm-hmm. So it's just yeah, just going along life, not really. Like, hey, it doesn't matter. It's kind of, like, nihilistic in a lot of ways. Just mm-hmm. like, yeah, nothing matters. Just, you know, right. enjoy yourself it. while you're here. Mm-hmm. And uh, eat bugs and lay in the shade mm-hmm. and have a good time. Mm-hmm. And so Simba's, the way that he processes his grief is, like, not processing it. It's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. numbing out. And I'm definitely going to talk more about that mm-hmm. once we get to the connections to self. Mm-hmm. But that's but Simba dealing with grief and that way of of numbing out and just mm-hmm. kind of giving in to just trying to like please and seeking mm-hmm. you know pleasure in food or mm-hmm. or whatever yeah or or just you know having fun mm-hmm. right the denial of denial of what's happened mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and just constantly looking away from it yeah that's like that's like a major way that I see grief because that, that that's still grief oh yeah I think something that like. Like, whenever I think of grief, I always think of, I think, I think of sadness, depression. Mm, like the mourning. The mourning. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's what comes to my mind when I think of grief. Mm-hmm. But that's not all that grief is. Grief is very complex. Mm-hmm. You know, it shows up in anger. It mm-hmm. shows up in denial. It shows mm-hmm. up in shame or in guilt, mm-hmm. which is another huge thing. You know, mm-hmm. Shima feels like a whole bunch of guilt and shame for what he did. Right. It's not really his fault. And that's kind of what we might get to that part a little bit later. But yeah he feels that it's part regardless if it's his fault or not Mm -hmm. he he still feels that Mm -hmm. and that's also part of of grief Mm -hmm. is is, uh reckoning with that that. and dealing with it Mm -hmm. yeah um what about you where did you see grief uh kind of like you mentioned earlier i was really struck by how the movie really sets up mufasa's death especially mufasa almost preparing simba for it i mean this movie starts out the song circle of life arguably one of the Maybe not even arguably. It is one of the most iconic Disney songs ever. Mm-hmm. And the line I wrote down was, it's a circle of life and it moves us all through despair and hope. Mm. Um, and when you think of that circle of life, being born and dying, like that is a part of life. Mm-hmm. And they wake up at sunset or sunrise and they go up and they look out and he goes, you know, someday my um, the sun will set on my time here and it will rise on your time and mm-hmm. you will be king. Which I'm going to put a pin in that and say something about that here too in a second. But he says that and then later when Simba says, we'll always be together, right? Like that would have been a very easy thing to just be like, yeah, like I'll never leave you. We'll always be together. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing to say. But I appreciate that Mufasa is like, I'll always be with you. I might not physically be here with you. But he uses that opportunity to say like, look up at the stars. Like even when I am not here, I'll be watching over. Like, I, mm-hmm. I love that picture mm-hmm. um, so much. And so I feel like as hard as death is to accept, it is a part of the circle of life. And I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like Mufasa does a really good job at preparing Simba for that. And unfortunately, Simba had to deal with that way sooner than right. he should have. Yeah, and I think, like I think that that's like possible that Mufasa hadn't died so early that he would have continued to have prepared mm. Simba for that because that mm-hmm. it just came to think like death is just something we don't talk about mm-hmm. it it's like it happens and then we deal with it and then we try to move on as quickly as possible mm-hmm. without really processing yep. that grief yep. but yeah no Simba's not he's not given the tools to mm-hmm. to grieve I mean it starts like he starts from that conversation at a very young age right but since he's murdered by Scar he, he he's not able to continue that Right. Um, and so, unfortunately, you know, it's a very real world thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids have to deal with stuff that they are just not equipped mm. to deal with. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I mean, maybe we're getting better as a society, but there's still a lot, a lot of work to be done of yeah. like, okay, how do we truly support these kids rather than just like shuffling them around until they get to like a stable home environment or right. the, the most convenient home environment. There's not, a, and like, you know, there might be like some like therapy opportunities like mm-hmm. right at the get go, but it's like always right when mm-hmm. disaster strikes. It's never, there's not, there's not no proactive. This, right. Mm-hmm. There's not this preparing you mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. You know, we're scared to talk to kids about it because we're scared of our own mortality. Like we don't like thinking about dying. I mean, I don't like thinking about dying. Yeah. Or thinking about the people that we've lost or our own mortality. We don't, we don't like facing it. We don't like right. dealing with the pain of that. Yeah. I just, mm-hmm. you know, I, we just, we don't grieve very well, I think for the most part, because we're just not taught to. Yeah. We're not taught how to grieve. Yeah. I have 
a lot of thoughts on that, but it's in the world section for me. So. Yeah, okay. Cool. <laughs> um, I do have one more thought, though, as far as seeing it in sure. the movie. Like I said, I'm going to put a pin in Simba being king. And it's interesting. I watched this movie a million times, and this is the first time I've thought about it in this way. When Mufasa tells him that, like, you'll be king someday. For the next, what, 10 minutes, Simba walks around. He's like, I'm going to be king. Like, right. just can't wait to be king. Great song. All this stuff. Oh, yes. But in that, you know, he's a kid. He has this innocence. He doesn't realize that, oh, when I'm king, that means that I'm losing my dad. Like, that means he won't be here anymore. Yeah. And that, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, and so when Mufasa dies and now he's king and he's just this tiny little cub, he loses that innocent part of himself that was like, I'm going to be king and I'm right. going to rule over things. And I guess so the way I saw that in the movie was like, we lose a part of ourselves in grief. Mm. Um, and that's really hard to reckon with. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, I mean, that's the thing is that as much as Mufasa could have prepared him, mm-hmm. even if he says to Simba, like, I'm going to die. Even if you were like, because he kind of says it in like very like kind of poetic terms of like my, you know, the sun will set on my time here. But even if he outright said like, Simba, I'm going to die one day. Right. And like, I'm sure that would bother Simba, but that's still hard to kind of conceptualize when you're a kid of like your parents being gone. Right. So yeah, yeah, you're right. Simba hears that, oh, he only hears that, oh, I'm going to be king. I'm going to do all these fun things. It's but like exciting. the thought of Mufasa being gone, it's not that he's being selfish oh, even. No. Yeah. He just, as a kid, you can't. it's hard to just conceptualize that. Mm-hmm. Like, what? My dad's not going to be here? Like, what do you even mean? Right. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And for me, it almost asks the question, like, okay, well, then what's the point of, you know, having these conversations and normalizing yeah. the fact that death happens? If, you know, they're not going to be able to conceptualize it anyway. I think the reality is, is that nothing will ever prepare you for yeah. the weight of grief. But I do feel like when you acknowledge that it is a thing, that it happens. Because I think so much of the problem that we run into is people are like, oh, I can't grieve. This is wrong. Like, I can only feel this for so long. And that gets into a whole other conversation about feeling our feelings and mm-hmm. teaching people <laughs> how to actually feel their feelings. So in my... um program right now I'm taking um, grief and loss across the life cycle so that was a cool kind of intersection of my life with this podcast and (laughs) it was not planned but (laughs) I thought it was cool one of the quotes in this book that I'm reading says although we may fear it grief is the normal psychological social and physical reaction to loss it becomes a choice of like are we going to acknowledge that grief or are we going to ignore it Mm -hmm. um well I mean yeah like I had several thoughts as you were talking but one is you know we can like prepare our, our children Mm-hmm. And not just our offspring, but like the children that we that are in our lives. Yes. Like we can talk about death and try to normalize that as much as we can. But mm-hmm. when it actually comes to the grieving, I don't know. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. It, and I also don't think it's it's just kind of tricky. I don't want to say that it's the responsibility of the grieving person to grieve well for their kids. Like no. people need to grieve in their own way. But right. yeah, I don't know. See, that's that's the thing is that I don't even like I don't know. I'm I'm clueless as well. Right. And it's also a cultural thing too. Mm. Which again we'll get into with the world stuff. I, was but, say, I feel like we're transitioning that way. So right, we, can... we are we are transitioning that way. So before we do that though, uh-huh. uh, I do want to make like one more thing about the movie, uh-huh. and I, I don't know where else I would put it except for here. So uh-huh. I can go ahead and say it. Yeah. So at first I was like, oh, this is like my theory. Like I have like a fan theory about this movie, <laughs> but but fan theories actually like really exhaust me <laughs> personally. <laughs> I was reading like fan theories about, we talked about Pua not being in the movie Moana that much. Oh, yeah. There's like all these fan theories online about why that's the case. And like, right. they're fun for a bit for me, but then I get so exhausted by them. <laughs> I just like imagine that meme of Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where he has like all those like mm-hmm. red lines, the the threads everywhere. Yeah. And he's like connecting them to like all these papers on the wall. And he's like going crazy. His hair's all like messed up. That's what I imagine fan theories being like. Yeah. Just trying to make like these crazy connections that maybe that may or may not be there. Right. So I have an interpretation. Oh, okay. And it does address address a major plot hole in the movie. Oh, okay. Okay. So a major plot hole mm-hmm. is that when Mufasa comes back uh-huh. and says Simba, you have forgotten me, and tells Simba he must return. Uh-huh. He doesn't say, "Hey, Scar killed me. Y- you didn't kill me. Oh, <laughs> it's not your fault." <laughs> Yeah. So it's like, because Mufasa looked Scar in the eye as Scar killed him. Mm-hmm. So he knows. He knows. Right. That that happened. Okay. Right. Um, and so there is like that thing of like, you know, why didn't Mufasa just tell Simba the truth mm. of what happened? Mm-hmm. And the way I choose to interpret it uh-huh. is that 
Mufasa didn't actually come back. Okay. I don't think Mufasa actually came back in the clouds. Okay. I think Simba finally got to a place Mm -hmm. to where he could face that. And that was that scene was a way of him facing the truth, the yeah. truth being the guilt, the shame that I feel, right? Everything that I've been numbing myself out to, I'm like he's like he's facing it in himself and is being and then that's being like projected in the clouds, uh. and then so he hears what he knows to be true in his soul, mm. which is you must take your place in the circle of life. So Simba's known this the whole time. Right. It just took Nala coming back and Rafiki to, like, kind of get him to that place. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, it's, like, a 90-minute kids movie, so it, it happens pretty quickly. Right. But, like, still, that's there. Yeah. Like, it took people to pull him out of himself a bit before he could actually mm-hmm. look at it. So. Snaps. And then there's, like, other <laughs> things, like, you know, did Rafiki, act? he says, what was, Rafiki's like, what was that? Rafiki might be operating on a different plane of, like, consciousness. <laughs> so maybe he did see something. I don't know. But I think it's possible that that it was um, mm. all in uh, Simba's head. Yeah. Which, to quote Albus Dumbledore, yeah. just because it's happening in your head, that doesn't make it not real or whatever. Right. That's a paraphrase, but it's essentially <laughs> it. <laughs> I think, yeah. I guess I've never really, like, thought much about, I mean, I've thought about that scene. But yeah, I don't know. I've never, I haven't really done a deep dive like you did into the interpretation. Yeah. So I appreciate that. And again, it's an interpretation. I'm not saying that's what definitely happened. That's just like yeah. how I, mm-hmm. to me, it's more satisfying yeah. for me to think of it that way. Yeah. Now, Moana's grandma, she definitely came back. <laughs> like yeah. in my head, without a doubt, she came back. She was there. <laughs> she was there on the boat. Right. And she came back as a stingray. <laughs> but Mufasa, mm, yeah, I yeah. I don't think so. There we I think, go. I think it was. Uh, I think it was him. I yeah. think it was Simba. All right. So now, just a you know small question: uh, Where do you see grief in the world? <laughs> Very small. <laughs> yeah. Um, we can answer that in a podcast. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Which here's a reminder that we do not aim to <laughs> make these conversations like you know, wrap it up with a pretty bow. No. Um, yeah. We're just like scratching the surface with some of this stuff. So Right. We're just, we're just getting the conversation going. That's mm-hmm. all we're doing. Yes. Not trying to get to any easy answers. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So in the world, gosh, there's endless grief in the world. Uh-huh. Um, but I think the thing, particularly with this movie and that I see that keeps coming out to me is we don't know how to grieve. Mm. Um, I do think that that's a cultural thing. That mm-hmm. is an interesting thing that mm-hmm. I'm, um, I've been reading about the way different cultures practice, if you can, like, you know, yeah. how they experience, express their grief. Right. And in the West, it, I already knew this, but like confirmed when I keep reading it over and over again, that's like, we just kind of expect people to keep moving forward Mm -hmm. that or or and that and we try to find quick solutions to our grief yeah you experience the loss of someone in your life and you know you have a job you have to take time off to go to the funeral that kind of thing and Mm -hmm. there's bereavement in some places not all places but you have a week Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more and then you're expected to just go back and Mm -hmm. go on with life as normal and Actually, one of the things in the books that I was reading recently, it's called um, Loss, Interventions for Loss. I'd have to find the name of it, but um, I can link to that on our show page or whatever. But it was saying that we often have, we almost have more tolerance for if someone has surgery, you know, Mm, if someone has surgery and they need to be off for a month, that is like a very reasonable, like, oh yeah, okay, you had surgery. Mm. That makes sense. Whereas grief is a predominantly emotional thing. Right. But it's not acknowledged. Like, people are just expected to move on, and right. that blows my mind. There's a timetable. There's, yes. It, and it is very short and I think in it's, many cases. Yeah. And so, yeah. and I think that, wonder if, like, a part of that is, again, just our own discomfort with death. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. we don't want to think about, oh, my child could die. Right. Or I don't want to think about my spouse dying. Right. Or my brother or whoever. Yeah. And so I think that might be part of it. Like, we want you to just move on because mm-hmm. we don't want to be around all this, like, quote unquote negativity or mm-hmm. like depression. Like, it makes us feel bad, rings us mm-hmm. down. So we just don't want to be around it because it makes us uncomfortable. Yes. And so it's like, just move on already. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. 
it's people's own discomfort with not being able to sit with their own grief. Yeah. Because we may have already touched on this a little bit, but grieving the death and the loss of someone in your life is obviously one of the most prominent forms of grief. Uh But we can also grieve other things. Like we may, you know, lose a spouse and, you know, they may still be alive, but divorce, that is something to grieve. You may lose a job. You may lose the opportunity that you have been looking forward to for so long. Like there's all kinds of loss and grief. And I feel like we often invalidate those in each other because we're just unwilling to sit with it or be like, you know, it's, it's going to be fine. Everything happens for a reason. Like, (laughs) (laughs) right. Um, so, oh my gosh. So one of my favorite things I've ever seen. So I work at an elementary school and, um, one of my coworkers was, dealing with infertility mm-hmm. her and her husband and they've they've since they've adopted a wonderful baby boy just the so cutest cute. little baby oh, he's so cute. but there was a lot of grief and mourning over mm-hmm. infertility yeah and people kept telling her oh everything happens for a reason everything will work out and then one of my other co-workers who's just this like bright-eyed happy whenever you think elementary school teacher like she's what you think of like right. just the most adorable person in yeah. the world yeah so she sent um she sent her a a card that a handwritten card that says please allow me to punch the next person in the face who says everything <laughs> happens for a reason <laughs> that's amazing isn't that great <laughs> i want to be because it's so <laughs> true it's such a terrible way that that is a bad way to respond to grief yes Saying blank, everything blank, happens for a reason. Period. Do not say that. Yep. Do not say that. Right. Even if you believe it, don't say it. Yes. Because to the person grieving, what they heard is, so the death of that person or the death of this thing meant that had to happen in order for X, Y, Z to happen. Yes. And I don't think that that's the case. Because that's like that's like us trying to make meaning out of it. Yes. Um, Which. So one yeah. podcast, to prepare for today's podcast, I listened to an episode of Brene Brown's podcast unlocking us if you've not listened to it highly recommend it mm-hmm. Brene brown's fantastic if you don't know who she is she's one of my she, favorite people yeah she's a she's a social worker but also a researcher mm-hmm. uh, and also uh you know says she's a storyteller because it's a big part of her work mm-hmm. and she deals a lot with shame mm-hmm. um and so she had this one episode on her podcast with david kessler who worked with what's her name who the stages of death and dying uh kubler ross yeah elizabeth kubler ross okay. um and she's the one who pretty much like came up with like the five stages of of grief which are in pretty common knowledge today people like reference them a lot mm-hmm. um and are often um like very misconstrued mm-hmm. she didn't dr kevler ross kubler ross whenever she like came up with those stages it wasn't a oh here's the linear linear mm-hmm. progress of or process of grief of how this works of yeah. how this like works once you're out of one you'll never go back to it right she yeah. said she was like, no. And she would get, like, hate mail of, like, how could you say that grief is like this, like, from grieving people? And she's like, no, you're misunderstanding. That's not what this is. It's not a, like, you're just going to go straight through this path and then be done. It's mm-hmm. it's a cycle. And you go back and forth. And you skip stuff. It's just, it just keeps going. And it's not even in a circle. It's just this messy conglomeration of yeah. these very common. She just took, like, the most common emotions that are experienced during grief. Mm-hmm and made these like stages right and stages is probably calling them stages is probably like a reason why people misconstrue them so often because it's not like you go from one to the other right it's just all these things that you experience right when Mm -hmm. grieving right um but she worked with um david kessler and after she died david kessler he added a sixth stage Mm -hmm. which was meaning making Mm -hmm. now that doesn't mean like you know everything happens for a reason there's a, a reason yeah. behind this death. It's not that. It's mm-hmm. meaning-making for Dr. Kessler is is action. And here I wrote it down. Yeah, so the meaningful moments, like that meaning-making in grief mm-hmm. is naming it mm-hmm. and taking control. Mm. And so in the movie, that makes me think back to the only time Simba acknowledges that Mufasa died, like says it, my father is dead, mm-hmm. is when... He's talking to Rafiki. Uh, and then yeah. Rafiki says, no, correction, I know your father. Right. And then Simba says, well, I mean, I hate to break it to you, but he died a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time in the movie that he says, mm. my father died. And that's interesting because that's almost the 
that's also where he has the turning point. Yeah. Mm. It's like, it almost makes me wonder if, like, if Rafiki, like, put something in the pond <laughs> that Simba inhaled to give him that spiritual experience, you know? We're all about making hey, these Hey, hey, Simba, look down there. <laughs> it's my reflection. No, look harder. Take a deep breath in. <laughs> real deep, real deep. Okay, but no. Okay, but the meaning making was... Is not Simba being like, oh, my father died so that I could learn this lesson. The meaning making for Simba is, okay, I've addressed this. Yeah. I feel this shame, this guilt. My father is dead. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to do something about it. And the meaning making moments are the moments of control, mm. according to Dr. Kessler, mm-hmm. of for Simba that's going back. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a huge step. They don't have to be that huge. Right. It doesn't have to be running across the desert in slow motion. Right. It can be very small things. Like, mm-hmm. I took care of the kids today. I brushed my teeth today. Mm-hmm. It's like the next right thing. Yes. Kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like, you know, I, you know, whatever it is, I fed myself. Right. Those are the moments of control that are meaning making. Mm-hmm. And for more on that, like, I really recommend looking, listening to that, that podcast episode. It's only like 45 minutes, but it's, mm-hmm. it's so good. Yeah. Like I'm, it, I'm excited to listen to it because mm-hmm. I haven't yet. And... All right. Anywhere else that you see it in the world? Um, I don't think so. I think that's the big thing I wanted to touch on was the fact that we tend to run from our grief or we think that it's not okay to feel or we think that it makes us weak um right like that there's something wrong with us that right. you know there's like I you f- can't deal with it right i feel like there's this big idea that you know i have to be strong for so and so i have to be strong for this and there is a level of strength there is a place oh this i wanted to say this too for positivity right like we need that yeah it's when it gets into that toxic positivity of everything happens for a reason. It's fine. We want to, one thing I wrote down was not jumping immediately from, okay, well, here's the loss. And then, you know, everything's fine and dandy because that is a denial of the loss. I think it's tempting to want to do that because it's easier, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but in the long run, it's not letting us fully acknowledge what's happening. And I think that, I don't know. We can get into a whole other conversation with toxic positivity. Right. I and mean, we're going to reap what we sow. Yes. Yeah. Say more about that. If we ignore it, uh-huh. it's gonna. It's not that it goes away. Mm. It's still there. It's going to come back up mm-hmm. in some other way. Yes. You know, why I, I put down, this is the most obvious one, is COVID-19. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just now, like, we're, we're still in a pandemic, mm-hmm. but we're finally getting to a point to where things are starting to seem like the before times. Right. But I, I'm probably going to reference this podcast quite a bit right here, so mm-hmm. the... Dr. Kessler and Brene Brown, <laughs> they were talking about a COVID-19 and the, the grief of that. Mm-hmm. So during COVID, like throughout this whole thing, like it's been hard for me and like I've acknowledged that, but I've also, I'm very quick to say, oh, well, it's not as hard for me though. I don't have kids. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to worry about like helping them through their own emotions mm-hmm. as well as my own. I didn't have to help them with homework. I did have a relative die of COVID, mm-hmm. but for the most part, like a lot of my family remained healthy and safe throughout it. I mean, I'm more introverted, so being alone for like a long period of time wasn't the worst thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still hard, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't the worst. Right. And so I'm always very quick to say that, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, COVID, it sucked, but it was not as bad for me as it was for others. But he said in the podcast, the world we knew is gone forever. Mm. And the second he said that, my it was subtle. My mouth twitched a bit mm. and my chest slightly tightened. Right. So mm-hmm. it was very quick, but it was it was big enough to where I could notice it. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, that, that sparked something in me. There's mm. a lot of unprocessed grief mm-hmm. going on in there. Yeah. And it, it's, it's an interesting act. Like another thing that he said was, um, the worst loss is always your loss. Mm-hmm. And he said that in response to people wanting to sort of rank losses. I think he said that his mom died in a shooting Mm. and his son died at at the age of 21. So he said, if I wanted to play that game, I would probably win. Mm. Like, I I, I would get pretty high in that. Yeah. But that's not the point when it comes to grief. Like, we are all experiencing grief. Yes. And for me, COVID-19, I think it is important to kind of acknowledge the privilege of... I was able to stay home and not even have to work that much and still get paid enough to live Mm -hmm. because, you know, being a teacher, being salaried and all that and the privilege that comes with that, being close to my parents, being close to my family, Mm -hmm. but also being like, well, that doesn't minimize my loss. Right. I mean, my my brother got married last year and they they had to like change their whole 
venue and there's so many other situations like that and like mm-hmm. that's I mean, it's a common loss, but still a loss. Like the graduation, like mm-hmm. all these seniors who couldn't graduate the way they hoped or have the senior year that they hoped, like that was right. taken from them. That's mm-hmm. a real loss. Yeah. And we have not, I just don't know. I mean, I'm sure in individual cases, like mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are good examples, uh, people grieving mm-hmm. and, and like and accepting it. Again, like I don't want to say grieving well, mm-hmm. but people who are at least addressing it more right. and working through that grief. Mm-hmm. But collectively, we don't. And, like, one thing, again, to the world, I, I wrote down, um, uh, so sitting Shiva is a, a Jewish practice. It's a, a mourning ritual, and I'm not Jewish, and um, so, I, you know, my, my, my knowledge of it is very limited, but I, I know that it's a, a ritual where when someone dies, the family will sit together, and I think maybe oftentimes it's, like, with the person who was closest to the deceased mm-hmm. person, but regardless, the, whole, the family sits together, and they stay together mm-hmm. for seven days and seven nights. Mm-hmm. And there's been like a lot of modifications to it over the years. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there's like kind of different versions of the practice within Judaism. But the idea is that you stay with that person, mm-hmm. the person who is grieving. Right. Um, and you do what you can to mourn with that person. Mm-hmm. So you're saying like the spouse of someone who passed. Yeah, so or... let's say if someone's spouse is... Okay. If, a, if a person's spouse dies, then you would stay with the, the living spouse. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and help them through it. Right. You're, you're not sitting with the dead body. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> that would be weird. Right. This will kind of connect more to, like, my own life, but it does kind of make me think of, like, other rituals mm. that, that we have that, that come with, with mourning. And, again, the mourning part of it, like, the initial mourning, I think there's a lot of good examples of that mm. that we do mm-hmm. culturally. But, yeah, it's more of, like, the long-term stuff that gets a bit trickier. Right. You know? Yeah. Like you said, there can be a timetable sometimes of, Mm -hmm. okay, like, we'll send, you know, we'll send casseroles for a couple weeks and then, you know, six months later, no more casseroles are coming to the door. It's like, yeah, there's no no more food train and you just need to get over it. Yep. You're bumming us out. Right. But you're still (laughs) grieving. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Okay, so the final part, final connection is uh, how do we see this topic in our own life? Just going off that idea of ritual mm-hmm. and grieving, you know, we mentioned sitting Shiva, but again, I'm not Jewish, so I can't really speak to that mm-hmm. um, at all. But when I think of like the big losses, I think of the death of my grandma, my mom's mom, mm-hmm. happened when I was in third grade. Mm-hmm. And she had Parkinson's disease, and most of my memories of her are her when she's sick. My earliest memories of her, you know, at least like she's walking and stuff. And then mm-hmm. closer to her death, she was mostly bedridden and mm-hmm. got around on a wheelchair and couldn't really talk. But I remember being at school and my dad pulling me aside and he, uh, you know, told me that she had, she had died. Mm-hmm. And I immediately went home. The mourning process of my grandma, from what my understanding of sitting Shiva is, it kind of felt like that because mm-hmm. we were at my grandpa's house mm-hmm. For at least a week, maybe mm. longer. Mm-hmm. It felt like a week at least. Yeah. And my whole family on my mom's side was there. Mm. My grandpa, he was always like surrounded by people, and I'm sure he had to get away. I'm sure he sought solitude during that time. Mm-hmm. But there was always someone there at the house at least. Mm-hmm. People brought all these meals, mm-hmm. and just, I remember the scent of flowers, like just the overwhelming scent of Mm -hmm. flowers. Like people Mm -hmm. had sent so many flowers to the house that Mm -hmm. it was just saturated Mm -hmm. in that scent. Mm -hmm. It was basically like a, like a flower shop is how (laughs) thick it was. Mm -hmm. And I remember playing, uh, Sonic Adventure 2 Mm -hmm. on GameCube with my cousins. Mm -hmm. And I remember the funeral and I remember people crying and I remember people telling stories, Mm -hmm. which is part of we talked about that being like part of the mourning process and my mm-hmm. dad telling the story, like, you know, stories of, of grandma and I, and the way that I went through that, like the funeral and everything, um, was I, I was like kind of, I was like an observer. Mm. Like I felt like I'm seeing my mom cry in my grandpa's shoulder and mm-hmm. like feeling really sad and like seeing like my grandma, like in the casket, that was huge. Mm-hmm. I had never seen a dead body before, let alone someone I was close to. Mm-hmm. But I just remember being sort of like I was just observing mm-hmm. is what it felt like. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at my dad and seeing tears in his eyes. And I remember just kind of looking around the room. Mm-hmm. And my brother, Mike, I have two 
younger brothers and Peyton, the youngest, he was, I think he was like probably too young to remember this. Mm. But Calvin, you know, he did cry. Like he cried a lot. Mm. And so I remember feeling sad, but I just sort of like took it all in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's still how I process a lot of grief mm. is I just look at it yeah. or observe it. Even. Mm-hmm. Like it's, but I, you're I, here and it's right. Like I, I, hold, I hold that arm's length and I'm looking. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm facing it, like taking it all in. Even I'm just sort of like holding that arm's length and I'm just sort of staring. I kind of like, oh, okay, that's that's over here and I'm looking at it, but I'm not like letting it any further. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I have a really hard time crying. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't cry that often. Mm-hmm. I cried once during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and that was at the very beginning when things were so crazy. Mm-hmm. But it, it's difficult for me to cry. I think that's like partially like. I've wired myself to be like that due mm-hmm. to like, you know, masculinity norms or whatever. But I will say, like looking back, like I, f- I feel like I can say, yes, we grieved my grandma. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we did. Yeah. And then my other grandma who died, like she died pretty recently, like a few years ago, mm-hmm. maybe five years ago. I don't remember exactly what. But, you know, she lived up in Ohio. We're in Tennessee. It was my the dad's mom. And so we just don't see that family as often. We're, we're, you know, we still were close to them growing up, but we just didn't see them as often because, you know, they're not here. But that was different. There was a stark difference in that because, for one, we didn't go. To, my dad went to the funeral, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. And I was very, I, I loved, I was very close to this grandma. Like, I mean, not like mm-hmm. close, close because, you know, the distance, but like, she just, every time I saw her, I was just so excited. I was so happy to see her every time I saw her, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. She was just this, like, embodiment of warmth. And the last time I saw her, she was, like, mostly mentally there, but not fully. And she was really terrified of dying. Mm. Mm. And that was the last memory I have of her. Mm. And we just, at least as a family, just did not grieve her as much. Mm. Um, at least not in a, we, we didn't mourn her together mm-hmm. you know um so that one feels not that there's like total closure with mm-hmm. my mom's mom you know when i was in third grade and with my dad's mom mm-hmm. my grandma wingate it was um it, it a lot of it just feels unresolved mm-hmm. and it's just it's kind of weird to like think back on mm-hmm. because it's like it just feels a little there's like dissonance in my head with mm-hmm. it because right. it just wasn't fully processed right yeah, I think that I think the difference is there. One of them, at least, that I'm hearing is the like collective piece yeah. of grieving together, um, and how important that is. And something that I really appreciate about sitting shiva in the Jewish tradition, um, Jewish tradition, is you're doing that together. You mm-hmm. are with the people or the person that like is, you know, affected by the loss. Yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah, and I, I think at least for me personally, like my 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 first response to grief mm-hmm. is to Hakuna Matata. Mm. is to, I'm going to numb out, whether that's with movies mm-hmm. or TV or food or what, whatever it is, mm-hmm. or, or, or heck, just occupying myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that before I really fully process that grief. Or I'm just going to kind of shove it down, numb right. myself mm-hmm. with whatever, like, however I do that. And yeah. just say, no worries. That's my, that's my first instinct, is to numb out. Right. And I've, at least like in the past year or two, been been more mindful of that and trying to work through it but it's I'm still holding it at arm's length and I think a lot of that does come from like my my privilege and like I feel bad for grieving even because mm. it's like well my grief isn't as bad like my loss isn't as bad mm. and that goes back into like that that ranking right well mine's not as bad as someone who lost their their parents or mm-hmm. who are maybe like they didn't lose a parent but maybe they're like on the other side of the world or the other side of the country and I, I get so fixated on I have it so good Mm-hmm. That I'm not even gonna like complain. It's right. it's I I'm 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 weak if I do. Mm-hmm. I'm a brat if I do. Mm-hmm. I feel like a bad person if I if mm-hmm. I acknowledge it. So I'm just not even gonna do it. Right. And it's also uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's like a loss of it. That part feels like a loss of control. If the meaning making mm-hmm. is the control part mm-hmm. in actions, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that comes before that or alongside of that is like the lack of control. I think the reason why I don't cry. Is because like crying feels like a loss of control, mm. mm-hmm. even though I'm like, gosh, I want to cry because that would feel like such a, a purge or a relief mm-hmm. release, mm-hmm. but it's just it's it's a loss of control, and mm-hmm. I I don't like that. Yeah, it's vulnerability, mm-hmm. and I'm very mm-hmm. uncomfortable with that. Yeah, yep. But I'm, I'm getting better. I'll say. Yeah. Like just listening to that podcast yesterday and like feeling that in my body, I think was a huge step. But, mm. mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. 
That's a big thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What um, about you? Yeah. Um, I think personally, I mean, this last year has taught me a lot about grief and obviously something I'm still learning, but, um, from, you know, the pandemic to, I moved from Baltimore back to Tennessee and that was like a very unclosed mm-hmm. kind of thing. Very like, quickly. You moved very quickly. Very quickly. Put all your stuff in a suitcase and hauled, Literally. hauled down here. Yes. It's crazy because I remember at the beginning of the pandemic talking to my boss and, you know, we were like, yeah, like surely I used to work for a church. Like surely we'll, you know, we'll be back in the building by, by June, by July, by the time that, you know, you leave. And, or at least we were hopeful. (laughs) And then plot twist, here we are a year later. And there's, you know, they're just getting to a point where they're having services like outdoor once a month. (laughs) Um, And so it just looked very different. And I, I had, I think I got out to really say goodbye to like two friends of mine or, Mm. you know, that was like the marking the end of the season. And that was hard. I think there's a part of me that's still grieving that, grieving that change because it just kind of ended so suddenly. Um, And then last summer, people listening probably know this especially if they're already our friends but um last summer we lost my grandma and that was uh really hard um and (laughs) she was like a second mom to me um so like one of the most important people in my life (laughs) and I have lost family members before and I've cried over losing family members before but it's never been as close as that one Mm -hmm. and I don't know. I think back to what I said earlier about like losing part of ourselves in grief right? and how like, Oh man, I might need a break in a second. (laughs) Um, you just don't know until it happens, you know? Um, and I'm very much a person that like feels very deeply. Like I'm very empathic. I feel like very highly sensitive, if you will. But something you said earlier, too, that really stuck with me, that, like, the world we knew is gone forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't share this because I'm like, oh, you know, pity or that kind of thing. I share this because we're talking about grief. And this mm-hmm. has been a very real, you know, if we did this podcast on grief and it didn't address a thing in my life, then, like, that's yeah. not me being vulnerable. And that's what I want to do because I'm, you know, I'm very much a person that's, like, got to feel your feelings. You've got to grieve, <laughs> you know. Right. And walking through this with my own family who... You know, but I've acknowledged this with my brother and cousins in the last couple of weeks is like we have this tendency to want to bury things down. And this is one of the greatest losses that we've experienced in our lives. And I think a question that we are all asking ourselves is like, well, how do we do this? Like, yeah. how do we live in a world where grandma doesn't exist anymore? Um, right. And I, I do think that she does. Like, I feel that really deeply that yeah. she's still with us. She lives, you know, he lives in you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that quote that I mentioned earlier, like, what is grief if not love? persevering like I definitely see that but to say like I've known grief in a very real way and I think we all have in some way in the last year and you know in our entirety of our lives we're going to experience grief but the thing that has helped me the most is that collective piece of like talking to people about it mm-hmm. feeling it with especially the people that like you know know and loved the person that you were also grieving mm-hmm. but also yeah just not grieving alone mm-hmm. like the amount of times that I can be you know I'm I'm good and then the next thing I'm telling a story about grandma to you and then I'm crying. Yeah. <laughs> and that is it's healing for me. Yeah. Um to be able to have someone witness that pain. Right. I think that's a big thing like with therapy is like the reason therapy can be so helpful is because another person is witnessing your hurt and validating it. But my tendency for sure is like, well, I want I want to not feel it. Right. Um I'm actually really grateful for the work that therapy has done in my life over the last few years because not that I feel more equipped to grieve. <laughs> right. But I I'm letting myself grieve. Right. Yeah. Um, And I think what I'm learning is that it's not, like you said, it's not linear. I just have to let myself feel it. It sucks. Right. (laughs) Um, But there is, there's that, you know, the meaning making and it goes in waves with all of it. But yeah. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. I know that was really hard. Yeah. 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 I think I, I had several thoughts as you were talking and I mean, yeah, the big one that it's not linear Mm -hmm. that, it's not like you you grieve and grieve until oh it's fixed it's gone like that's not the point of grief the grief I, I, I guess like when grieving it's just to acknowledge it mm-hmm. and it's not to 
maybe you don't even equip yourself to grieve. Maybe it's just, you just let yourself grieve. And I think maybe where the equipping comes in is for us who are not grieving. How do we interact and how do we care for people who are grieving, especially people in our lives who are grieving Mm -hmm. when we're not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, because so often it's, we do all the, we do like a food chains or food trains and we do we send casseroles which mm-hmm. are little rituals at least turn the south that i really value and appreciate and i think yeah. they're wonderful mm-hmm. but it's like at a certain point it's like okay well we, now we don't know what to do right it's not up to the person who's grieving to equip themselves mm-hmm. and i'm just now kind of thinking about this after hearing you talk yeah but it's the people around that person or mm-hmm. those people that family yeah how do we equip ourselves to care for them yes in a way that's healthy in a way that's not you need to get you need to get back onto uh my <laughs> capitalist timetable <laughs> yep. so that we can you know mm-hmm. get a productive life where we can like kind of move on right that's not what it no right that, that's not how we can orient that's not how we should orient ourselves yes yeah it's, it's sitting with people mm-hmm. i think we could do that a lot better it's, it's, a, it's not people. productive yeah and that's the thing it's not productive sitting with oh okay like uh-huh. like and by that i mean like it's not going to, like, sitting with someone is not going to guarantee a result. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to sit with you. And, but that does not mean that, oh, in, like, six months you'll be over it because I sat with you through it. Right. It's like, no, this is going to be an ongoing thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you just, we're just going to have to learn to accept that. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, and yeah just because, like, I feel like we can't say it enough. The meaning making of the loss of your grandma, mm-hmm. like, it's not a, oh, well, here's why it happened at this time right which is so terrible to right. even begin to even say that i know it's like one of those things that you think will help but it's just it doesn't right and like i'm i, I know there was a time where i thought that too mm-hmm. where i was like like oh yeah like everything was for a reason i'll take comfort in that but it, you know no mm-hmm. it's, it, it's really not it's a place i think it's it comes from a good place yes and maybe eventually you get to it of like oh okay like Maybe not even this but is I'll, where this I'll, happened. I, I, but... I'm not even like comfortable with even saying that you'll get to a point where you see the reason behind it. No. But no. like you eventually at least, like the meaning making is the, for those of you who don't know, um, Victoria is a is a baker along with being a podcaster and <laughs> getting her uh, LC, is it LS? L- L- LLC. Mm-hmm. Her LLC um, in social work. Um, it's a fancy. Oh, I thought you meant business. My MSW. Your in MSW work. in social work. To LCSW. Some sort of combination of letters. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So <laughs> she's going to be a really fancy social worker one day. <laughs> she's she also a baker. Mm-hmm. And I, I know, I didn't know your grandma for very long, but mm-hmm. I know that she really showed her love through cooking. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you do. And you do it because you love it. Mm-hmm. But also, I see that your grandma's spirit that you talk about like really comes through and your your baking yes. and caring for people mm-hmm. which that's that's a little bit of, of meaning making like her living mm-hmm. in you yeah and that has been a huge as weird as it might sound to say like part of my grieving has been yeah like channeling that just all the tears today guys um <laughs> channeling that spirit of hers yeah it's been huge and mm-hmm. it's been not only is it a great way to like you know eat delicious pastries that we don't have in this area or to, you know, teach other people about my culture. But it's been a really cool way to honor her and to help myself process, honestly. Um, Because she wasn't, she wasn't a baker. She was a cook, like you said. But still, it's, yeah, it's cathartic for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. 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 Mabbit Street Bakes, Puerto Rican pastries. Follow me Check it out. (laughs) Check it out. (laughs) Okay, so before we wrap things up, um, what's the takeaway from this conversation? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, what do you think from this conversation is like going to stick with you, or what do you think this conversation is like guiding you towards mm-hmm. um, to do like in your own life? Yeah, I think, like I said, I'm really grateful for the last couple years of therapy that has let me grieve essentially, mm-hmm. and has taught me that like it's okay to feel my feelings. And so one of the biggest takeaways is like, we have to grieve. But I think for me is how do we grieve and Mm -hmm. how do we sit with people Mm -hmm. in grief? Because there is this tendency to want to just ignore it or move on quickly or run from it. Like Timon and Pumbaa. Like Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah. You know, Akuna Matata. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's the question that I'm sitting with is I know part of that is sitting with people and not trying to rush them through their pain, but 
yeah, I think that's... Yeah, I mean, mine's pretty similar. I mean, mine, I think for me, because I do, I have such a tendency to numb out. I have such a tendency to take the the Hakuna Matata philosophy mm-hmm. and um, approach to things that I think just like a small step that I can take is to name mm. the loss and acknowledge my grief regardless of how big or small it is. Because mm-hmm. one thing, I've, I've been trying to practice like feeling my feelings and letting myself feel things, but that's like doing it, it feels so like abstract to me. I'm like, how do you even do that sometimes? Because <laughs> I'm, so t- I'm so out of sync with it. Like I'm, I think mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, being a man yeah. in, in the society is I'm like mm-hmm. kind of hardwired to distance myself from feelings. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I consider myself to be a pretty empathic person, but mm-hmm. like, but it's with my own feeling, this it's difficult. So I think just right. naming it, and acknowledging it's saying aloud mm-hmm. like you know how Simba says my my father died a long time ago like saying this is what it is like I right. am angry mm-hmm. at COVID or I am mm-hmm. upset at whatever it is right um, at whatever the loss is yeah and just again not trying to rush through it not trying to like as if I can like get through the grieving process super quick but mm-hmm. just to to sit with it and mm-hmm. to be like okay this is what it is right now and right. I'm gonna be patient and I'm gonna show grace to myself which is a whole other thing. It's a whole other skill I need to learn. <laughs> uh, but I think that's what I'm being called to, as well as what you said with being um, patient and sitting with people in their own grief and not rushing them through their own grief mm-hmm. and mourning process. Because mm-hmm. it's going to be different, and it can be many years. Yep. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for that conversation. That was great. Yeah, I thought so. So now we're going to blow off steam before we end, um, and that's just where we, uh, you know, ask like questions about, you know, favorite things about the movie. Um, so before I believe you have the questions for us. That I do. Um, okay, favorite character. Rafiki. Oh, yeah, Rafiki is my favorite. If you listened to last week, or I guess two weeks ago, like l- the last episode, you would know that I'm a big fan of the villains. And Scar, as terrible as he is, he is one of my favorite Disney villains. But the worst. Yeah, he's pretty bad. He's pretty <laughs> like bad. Like if I hold disdain for any Disney villain, it's Scar. Oh yeah, but um, gosh, he's fun. I think he's so yeah. fun though. Yeah, his song is fun. <laughs> oh man, but um, but Rafiki is my my favorite character. Okay. I think anytime you're gonna have like a funny spiritual guru kind of character in something, it's gonna like they're gonna be a top contender for my favorite character as well. I love it. Love Rafiki. <laughs> um, Pumba. Boomba. I just love him. <laughs> He's so good. <laughs> He's so good. Yeah. And so himself. Yeah, he is. He is. And unashamed, and I love you it. Just want to give him a hug. <laughs> exactly. So I'd say Pumba. Yeah, he's good. Um. Okay. A favorite song. Favorite song is "Be Prepared." Like, like by a wide margin. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that whole scene. Where, oh, the color in that scene and how it just builds and it gets so dramatic at the end. Like, that final shot could be, like, the cover of a freaking hard metal album. Gosh, it's so good. (laughs) It's so freaking good. I love it. Love that. Love Be Prepared. As much as we were like, meh, on Akuna Matata. (laughs) Yeah. I do love the song. It's a great, horrible life philosophy. Great song. Right. (laughs) Fine for some things. Yeah. That should be on a shirt. Akuna Matata, fine sometimes. It's a good beach song. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's mine. Um, okay, favorite quote. Favorite quote. So there's like a lyric okay. and a quote. Okay. I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to do fine. those two. It's our podcast. So, we can do what we want. Exactly. <laughs> there's no rules to this. Okay, so favorite lyric is actually in Hakuna Matata. <laughs> it, it like really stuck out to me the last time we uh, we watched it. But it just makes me laugh every time mm-hmm. where uh, Timon's saying, he's like talking about Pumbaa's past. And he says, his aroma lacked a certain appeal. He could clear the savannah after every meal. Makes me laugh. I'm like a freaking like six-year-old kid after that. Like, I just, kills me. So it's so good. funny. And then my favorite quote, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go for the funny ones. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's just what stick out to me first is mm-hmm. where Rafiki says, or uh, he's like singing that song and Simba's mm-hmm. like, what does it mean anyway? And, Raf- yeah, and Rafiki says, it means you are a baboon. And I am not. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Kills me. Um, okay, I'm actually going to copy you and do a lyric and a quote. That's against the rules. Also, well, 
We do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> we do what I want, specifically. Okay, so hey, what's funny is I didn't realize this one until probably last year, because I remember we were listening to it, or watching it, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is hysterical. And I just can't wait to be king. Zazu yeah. says, this child is getting wildly out of wing. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, but I didn't notice that either. Instead of wildly out of hand. Yes. That's hilarious. That's very funny. That's very, very funny. Very well done. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. I was dying when I realized it. And you, so you pointed it out, then I caught it. Yep. Um, so that one. And then, again, Pumbaa, when he says, home is where your rump rests. <laughs> <laughs> we need that cross-stitched. Yeah. <laughs> if any of our friends are cross-stitchers, please. <laughs> Put it on it. Please do. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Thank you for listening to Spoonful of Sugar. Next time we're going to be talking about Raya. Raya, am I saying that right? Yes. We're going to use Raya in The Last Dragon to talk about trust, which is a very prominent theme in that movie. By that point, it should be available to everyone on Disney Plus mm-hmm. and also be on DVD if you still use DVDs. Um, <laughs> no judgment. Uh, or yeah. VHS. Or VHS, maybe. I don't know. Maybe you can still find that somewhere. But either way, uh, watch it if you, if you feel so called. And uh, we'll talk about that next time. Again, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. See ya.